Welcome back to the listener's commentary on the letter of 1 Corinthians. In this recording, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. And this paragraph is the beginning of the first major topic and first major section of the letter. If you recall from our overview in our opening session, we uh, imagine six different topics that the letter can be arranged around and under, and there's subtopics within each of that. But the first major topic begins here, and that topic is the issue of divisions and wisdom and the cross. And it goes from this point here in chapter 1, verse 10, all the way down to chapter 4, verse 17. And then you start a new subject there at the end of chapter 4. And as you read down through this section, it's obvious that the Corinthian church was dealing with some serious problems with rivalry and fighting over leaders and wisdom and rhetoric and oratory and all of that. And this led to all sorts of factions and divisions in the church as people argued over these things and had rivalry about these things. And in these things, the church was acting very much like the city around them, the city of Corinth, embodying its values and its success measures rather than embodying the values of Jesus and the message of the cross. As uh, one commentator says, D.A. Carson, uh, the Corinthians' love of pomp and prestige, rhetoric and social approval, publicly lauded wisdom, all demonstrated that they had not reflected very deeply on the message of the gospel of the crucified Messiah. And so they're being marked more by the, the honor and status and values of Corinth rather than by the cross of Christ. One little important note for this whole section from 110 down through 417 is that uh, this the backbone of this section, as one commentator says, is six Old Testament quotations that are all taken from uh, passages in the Old Testament that depict God as the judge and God is the one who saves his people. And he does so in ways that defy human imagination and human planning and human scheming. That's really the backbone of this section. And Paul's point is to say that God's wisdom is beyond the grasp of human imagination and human wisdom. And so Paul quotes or alludes to all these Old Testament texts to help the Corinthians see and us see that God is the one who acts in ways way beyond what humans could ever dream of on their own. And all of that is to help put the Corinthians in their place so that they'll begin to think more along the lines of God's wisdom than mere human wisdom that was so prevalent in the city of Corinth. So Paul opens this long section on wisdom and divisions and the cross of Jesus by saying this in chapter 1, verse 10. Now, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Notice the repetition of these things. You all agree. Be no divisions, same mind, same judgment. Right from the outset, we see, we see what the topic is. It's this issue of disunity and divisions rather than being unified around Jesus. 
And Paul urges them, he says, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that is, as his apostle, as his ambassador and representative, with his authority. And so Paul is speaking and urging them with the authority of Jesus as Lord and Messiah. And what he's urging them is that they all agree and that there be no divisions among you. Um, and literally the phrase all agree is to say the same things, that you would all say the same things and there would be no division among you. Well, that's important because when you pay attention to what follows in the following context, what are they saying and what are they divided over? Well, they're saying things like, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, well, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Jesus. And so they have all their little things they're saying and their slogans, and that's what's leading to their division. And so it seems like when he says that you all agree, it's not just that you agree in general, it's that you say the same thing, speak with one voice about who you are and who you belong to, that you're Jesus's people and you represent him and you're attached to him. And instead of using your voice to bicker and argue about who's better and who's not and which leader is better and all that, they all follow Jesus and no one else. And so they need to say the same things about that, and there should be no divisions among them. And then he says, then that you be made complete in the same mind and the same judgment. Interestingly, the word translated made complete is not the, not the normal word that gets translated that way. It's actually a word that has, I think, a more precise meaning than that and probably could have been translated a little bit more clearly than made complete. This is the word that's translated equipping in Ephesians 4 about equipping the saints. In the Gospels, this word is used for Peter, Andrew, James, and John in a scene where they're mending or repairing their nets after a night of fishing. It was used in other contexts in the first century to refer to, for example, setting of a broken bone. The idea of the word is repairing and restoring something, including relationships. It was used to, like, put back in proper working order. That was the idea. So you're mending your nets. You're putting it back into proper working order. You're setting a broken bone. You're repairing it and restoring it so that it can be put into proper working order. And the idea here then is that as a church, they must be restored to proper functioning and they must do that in that they have the same mind and the same thoughts. They, their mindset and their view of things and their focus of things has to be on the same things, namely on Jesus and the cross and the gospel. Now, how does Paul know that the church isn't functioning right because of divisions? Well, look at verse 11. He says, for, he's explaining how he knows there's problems here. For I've been informed concerning you, my brothers and sisters, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. And that word translated quarrels sometimes means strife, bickering. It's like there's just tension and friction among them um, over these sorts of things. And Paul learned that from Chloe's people. Who's Chloe's people? Well, most likely, Chloe is a businesswoman, and her people are clients or employees or servants or something like that. Um, and they've been traveling between Corinth and Ephesus, where Paul is. Paul's in Ephesus at this time, traveling between there. And they brought word uh, to Paul of the problem of strife and bickering in the church. So some think Chloe is from Ephesus and the church at Ephesus, and her people traveled to Corinth and came back and brought a message about that. That's one possibility. It seems more likely to me that Chloe is from Corinth. That's why Paul names her, because they know who she is. Um, and so 
seems most likely to me that she's from Corinth and part of the church there in Corinth. And that's why Paul gives her name. And some of her people had traveled to Ephesus, presumably on business. And so she sent them with a message. When you're there in Ephesus, find Paul and tell him about some of the stuff that's going on here in the church. And so she sent them with a message to find Paul and tell him about it. And specifically, the message is that there was strife and quarrels, and they definitely weren't saying the same things. And so uh, there's problems and bickering in the church. What kinds of bickering? What kinds of quarrels and strife? Well, look at verse 12. Now, I mean this. Here's what Paul is talking about. That each one of you is saying, I'm with Paul, or I'm with Apollos, or I'm with Cephas, or I'm with Christ. Um, in other words, there are various leaders that they are identifying with. They're of Paul, they're of Apollos, they're of Cephas or Christ. They're identifying with different leaders that they prefer or like more. Um, obviously, we get who Paul is. Who's Apollos? Well, uh, Apollos, you can check him out in the book of Acts. That We, we meet him there in Acts. Um, he's been in Ephesus. He's gone to Corinth. He's a powerful speaker. He's eloquent and strong in the scriptures. And so he's a powerful communicator. Some identify with him. Cephas, who's that? Well, that's Peter. Cephas is Aramaic for Peter or rock. And so he's uh, Peter, the apostle, and then Christ. And this is really the only one that matters is Christ, right? In fact, in chapter three, as Paul kind of begins to bring this section to its culmination point, Paul's going to demonstrate that there's only one foundation for the church. It's not Paul. It's not Apollos. It's not, it's not Peter. It's Christ. And they all belong to Christ. In fact, in 323, it's the exact same phrase as here. You are of Christ in 323. And that's the phrase here. I am of Christ. Literally, I'm of Christ. And that's the only foundation. So that's the only one that matters. Now, let's think about this for a second. If Paul started the church in Corinth, why would some favor Apollos or some favor Peter over Paul? And the reality is we don't know all that's going on. We don't know the full details of the situation because we're not there, right? But from the evidence of 1 and 2 Corinthians, it's clear that some in the church looked down on Paul because of his unimpressive public speaking style and his lowly approach to ministry, that Paul suffered hardship, difficulty, that he worked the trade rather than accepting patronage and all of that. And we know that Apollos was a powerful speaker. We learned that in the book of Acts. And so it seems like that's one of the central issues. Paul, Apollos just seems more impressive. He seems more like the kind of person that would win an oratory contest in uh, Corinth. And so some have latched on to him. Now, we know nothing about Peter's connection to Corinth, but he's certainly a powerful apostle, and maybe some have identified with him. And so they're divided over their various leaders, and with three rhetorical questions in verse 13, Paul targets really the heart of the issue. What's the heart of the issue? Well, it's who they belong to. And so he says in verse 13, has Christ been divided? Paul wasn't crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? And that's the heart of the issue. It's Christ and their union with Christ. His crucifixion is central to the gospel. And he's the one that was crucified for them. He was the one that they identified with in baptism, identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection. Baptism is into him uniting with him. And so 
Um, that's the heart of the issue is who they belong to and who was crucified for them. In fact, Paul's going to come back to baptism in chapter 12, verse 13, emphasize there's only one baptism and there's only one spirit that you receive in connection with conversion and baptism. And therefore, there's only one body. Um, and so baptism is central to their unity because it identifies them with Jesus. Now, in this context where there's party spirit and rivalry around with who people identify with and who they belong to, Paul's going to go on here and say, I'm just glad I didn't baptize too many people because that just probably would have stirred up more people. Like, well, we're with Paul because he's the one that baptized us. And so he goes on in verses 14 and following to talk about really that, man, I'm glad I didn't baptize too many of you. Look what he says in verse 14. He says, I'm thankful that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Like He's like, no, there's one baptism. It's into Christ. And there's therefore one body, as he'll say in chapter 12. So I'm, I'm grateful that I didn't baptize a whole lot of people there. He does mention a couple, Crispus and Gaius. We're not exactly sure who Gaius is, but we know who Crispus is. Crispus is actually mentioned in Acts chapter 18. And he was the original leader of the synagogue in Corinth. Acts chapter 18, verse 8 says this, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, as they listened to Paul, were believing and being baptized. And so Crispus was the synagogue leader, and Paul personally baptized him and a guy named Gaius. Now, it's important to point out that Paul isn't saying he's glad people weren't baptized. Don't misread verse 14. That's not at all what he's saying. They were all baptized. Paul's words here actually assume they were all baptized. And they imply that. Um, that was, and that is, the standard way someone demonstrated their faith in Jesus and became part of his family, the church, is by getting baptized. And so Paul just assumes they were all baptized. His point is that in the contentious climate of Corinth, he's glad that he personally only baptized just a handful of people so that that wouldn't add to the strife as they were, well, I was baptized by Paul. Who were you baptized by, right? He, that's what he's really against. And so he mentions Crispus and Gaius. Oh, and then he remembers another guy he baptized, Stephanus, and his household. And so he says in verse 16, now I did baptize the household of Stephanus also. Beyond that, I don't know if I baptized anyone else. And so he mentions Stephanus and his household. We don't know who all in Stephanus' house was baptized. Um, households in the ancient world were not like households in the modern world. They included servants. They included employees sometimes. Sometimes clients actually lived at the house in a client-patron relationship. And so somebody that had a household large enough, there was just, there could be a number of people that were part of their household. And so we don't know how many people in Stephanus' house were baptized. What we do know is from chapter 16, verse 15, that Stephanus' Uh, household were some of the very first believers in the region of Greece or Achaia, and that uh, those who were involved in his household, who became believers and were baptized, devoted themselves to ministry. Listen to these words from 1 Corinthians 16, 15. You know, the household of Stephanus, that they are the first fruits of Achaia, some of the very first believers in the region of Greece or Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry to the saints. And so they're some of the first believers, and they've been involved in the ministry there in Corinth and in the surrounding area since the beginning. 
And interestingly enough, chapter 16, verse 17 also mentions that Stephanus is with Paul when he's writing this letter to the Corinthians. And so uh, when Paul mentioned, I'm glad I didn't baptize anybody but Gaius and Crispus, Stephanus might say, hey, what about me and my household? Oh yeah, and I mentioned them too. So he may have been the one that jogged Paul's memory uh, so that we get verse 16 here about Paul baptizing Stephanus and his household as well. Beyond that, Paul's not sure he baptized, he can't remember if he baptized too many other people there in the city of Corinth. And the point is, again, for Paul, is that who did the baptizing really isn't that big of a deal. What matters to him is that you've identified with Jesus and you've been baptized into him. In fact, Paul goes on to, to actually further demote his role in baptizing people in Corinth. Look at verse 17. He says, For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made of no effect. In other words, preaching Christ and the cross were the primary sphere of responsibility for Paul's ministry, not baptism. He could have other people do that. And notice what he says here about his preaching, that Christ sent him to preach the gospel, not with cleverness of speech. The word for cleverness there literally is wisdom, which actually sets up the next few paragraphs about the foolishness of the cross and the wisdom of men versus the wisdom of God and all of that. This topic, wisdom of speech, here translated cleverness of speech, but literally wisdom of speech refers to rhetorical skill, ornate oratory. And that was a huge problem for the Corinthian Christians because it was a big deal in the city of Corinth. And they've come out of a culture that valued people who can, who can speak in flowery, rhetorical, ornate sorts of way. Like if somebody really was in the know, well, that's how they would do public speaking. And Paul didn't. And so, uh, as a result, Paul just did not seem that impressive by their cultural values. And so, that's one of the reasons why they looked on him with some, ah, some suspicion or they looked down on him. And so, he says here in verse 17 that, that Paul or that Christ didn't send him for the purpose of baptizing everybody, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness or wisdom of speech, not with rhetorical skill, because he didn't want the cross of Christ to be made of no effect, to be nullified or to be canceled out. And he'll go on in the following paragraph to explain what he means by this, how the cross of Christ subverts the wisdom of the world. And so if you're using the world's wisdom and values and style to promote the cross, it sort of negates it. And he didn't want that to happen. So he came and he preached in simple, clear, straightforward ways to honor the cross. Now, let's just, before we leave this whole little section, um, let's talk a little bit about what Paul says about baptism here, because some have wondered about Paul's language here in view of what he says about baptism elsewhere. Typically, when Paul mentions baptism in his letters, he describes it in meaningful and deep language. Romans chapter 6, right? Like, like shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Um, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? And what does he mean by that? Well, don't you know that when you were baptized, you were baptized into his death? Like baptism is central there to the experience of being united with Christ. Galatians chapter 3, he mentions it as uh, baptism in connection with putting on Christ and again being united with him. And, uh, and so typically when Paul mentions baptism, he does so in meaningful and deep language. In fact, even in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 13, he does that, that it's central to our union with Jesus and to becoming one body, and it's connected to the Holy Spirit there in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. So, 
Why does it sound like he's minimizing baptism here? Well, the reason is because he's trying to dismiss their rivalry and their factions around whom they identify with. And if any are doing that in connection with who baptized them, he wants them to know that, look, who baptized you is not really that important. It's not that big deal. Like, you can't, like, up your status and your honor by the fact that you were personally baptized by Paul or that maybe you were baptized by Apollos or whoever else it is. And so that's really the issue. And so it's not that he's uh, minimizing baptism as a whole. What he's doing is he is minimizing who baptized the people and helping them realize like, look, let's get over that. The key thing is Jesus and being in Jesus and what Jesus accomplished. And yes, baptism uh, embodies that and symbolizes that and portrays that. But who baptized you? No big deal. Um, which is why Paul probably only baptized a handful of people. He could have other people do that. Timothy, Silas, maybe other members of the church could handle some of the baptisms as people came to faith in Jesus. Um, and But what's really important to make sure we notice here in first this section, even where he's kind of demoting and minimizing baptism and who baptized them, what's really important is Paul just assumes they've all been baptized. Like, you weren't baptized into Paul, were you? And he just assumes that. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, he assumes that they've all been baptized into one body. That's Paul's assumption. Um, why can he assume that? Well, because in the New Testament, no one came to faith in Jesus without getting baptized. In fact, when you read the book of Acts, it happened right away, usually on the same day. And so, so baptism and who baptized you isn't the central thing, but it's not an insignificant thing either. And Paul's point here is quit arguing about who you identify with. And remember that the person you identify with, the one person that matters is Jesus and his crucifixion. And so the main function of this section is to directly uh, deal with the quarreling and the strife in the Corinthian church and the way it's showing up in a in party spirit and rivalry. This section calls the Corinthian Christians and us Christians today to put such petty divisions to rest and to center our faith on Jesus and the cross and to quit arguing. As the old saying goes, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's no place for pride. There's no place for infighting. There's no place for rivalry and, you know, kind of like jostling for status and honor at the foot of the cross. The ground is level there. We all come to the cross empty-handed and in need of grace. And so this call for unity here in 1 Corinthians is all based on the subversive countercultural wisdom of God embodied in the cross of Jesus. And so now in the paragraphs that follow, it's to that topic that Paul turns. Hey, it's John. And before leaving this uh, recording, I just want to say a special thank you to those of you who make this ministry possible by your generous and faithful support. The listener's commentary is a listener-supported, crowdfunded Bible teaching ministry. And it couldn't be done without those of you who give $5, $10, $20 or more every single month. So thanks a ton for your support. And if you want to join the team of supporters, there's a link down in the notes below, or you can swing over to listenerscommentary.com and you can either 
Click the Give button and set up a recurring monthly donation there in partnership with World Family Mission. Or you can sign up for the Study Hub and you can uh, support the ministry through the Study Hub and get access to a host of other bonus study materials there inside the Study Hub. Let me just say in advance, thanks a ton for your support.